Knowable.me acknowledges that we record this podcast, work and live on the unceded lands and waters of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Their wisdom, storytelling and deep listening is a history we pay respect to in the creation of this podcast. Kelly Schultz, welcome to episode one of Knowable.me. This is the very start of what I hope is going to be an exciting journey. We're going to talk to everyday people about everyday things, but they just happen to be people who have a unique experience of the topic. On the list of topics in the planning schedule, there are quite a few things already, including public toilets, rideshare apps airport security and toasters and I'll add anything that piques my interest along the way. It's probably worth starting with a bit about why me and what makes my experience unique. I like to say that I'm blind with enough vision to be dangerous and really that's a whole other story and a whole other podcast. I'm ably assisted in the world by my black Labrador guide dog named Velvet. I always get the frequently asked questions and they're always about her, so I'll get those out of the way first. She's about to turn five. She is very definitely solar-powered and never misses an opportunity to sunbake. Her favourite food is anything that actually resembles food because she's a Labrador. And for anyone playing at home, her Instagram handle is at Velvet the Venerable. You can follow her significant napping adventures over there. Okay, let's get on to our first deep dive into the world of lifts, also known as elevators and vertical transport. There's a great article on how elevators work from the How Stuff Works website that I'll include in the show notes if you're keen on the engineering and that level of detail. But a few things that I found interesting along the way make a lot of sense, really. Like before lifts came along, the penthouse was the cheapest piece of real estate because you had to climb all those stairs. The people willing to climb the stairs got the best view, where I think it's probably the opposite now. The world was a fundamentally less accessible and inclusive place, but it was also restricted by how high buildings could practically be built. When you start getting into double-digit floors, things become much harder for living and working. Carrying any sort of furniture up more than 10 flights of stairs is going to be hard work. At the time of recording, the tallest building in the world is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. It has 163 floors, which is a very long trek of 2,909 stairs to get to the penthouse. Very long way, even on leg day. Their lift stats are actually pretty interesting, though. They have 57 of them, and they're double-deckers, so one car on top of another. They were even thinking about building triple-decker lift cars, which blows my mind. And they travel at up to 10 metres per second, which is 36 kilometres an hour. And that's not even the fastest lift in the world, which apparently clocks in at 60 kilometres an hour. My first guest is very familiar with living and working the high-rise lifestyle. Welcome to Knowable.me, Henry. I'm really keen to know what makes your experience of lifts unique. 
Thanks for having me, Kelly. Uh, to give you background, I'm completely blind and have been since birth. I have no light perception. I think one of the things that makes my experience of LIP unique is their size in relation to my ability to sense where other people are, which can make for some awkward conversations if you find that you're, you're a lot closer to someone than is you're expecting or they're expecting. It can be a little bit, um, you have a chuckle, have a laugh and move on. But also finding the bloody thing, that, that is a really unique situation to be in from, from the perspective of someone who is blind. What I think a sighted person takes, in, takes for granted is the ability to see lift, get in lift, get to the destination that said lift goes to. There's so a lot of assumptions that the lift is actually going to take you where you think you're meant to go to, isn't there? Exactly. And God forbid you, you don't get go to where you, where you want to go to and the floor layout is completely identical. You could end up somewhere where you think you are, but you're actually not there. You're in someone else's seat. I learned to check uh, that the seat I am aiming for is empty prior to sitting on it because I have been known to sit down assuming that level 29 has been pressed and I've gone to level 28. Hotel rooms can uh, can be an interesting one for that too if you don't end up on the right floor of a hotel and you're barging into someone else's room. I've got a funny story about that and I've got many funny stories but this particular funny story involves precisely this occurrence and having a key card that actually opened the door to a hotel room that I thought was mine that was actually on the different floor. That's um, scary in the first so, place. That's to think that someone else's key card might open your door as well. It's definitely pretty scary and I think it's more common than you might think. But, you know, if someone's at a hotel security procedures aren't what they should be, but I think it's more scary for the other person that, that suddenly had red door opened by this this blind bandits. I um, I can't tell you what I walked into, but I can absolutely assure you that it was it was something that was not appreciated on their part. <laughs> oh dear! So you're a blind bandit. I also hear that you're a lift ninja. How did you? How does one become a lift ninja? Well, um, you know, there's a we. You know, there's a, there's a high bar that must be met to be a professional lift ninja, Kelly. You have to have a, a dog or a cane, um, either one of the two, doesn't matter. You have to hit the button going up or down or where, wherever it is you need to go. You need to stand precisely in the middle of the bank of lift. So uh, typically this involves a bank of six lift on either side and you need to use your ears to guess which lift is going to open so you need to use your lightning fast reflexes to throw yourself in the direction of the doors of the opening lifts and um, very occasionally you'll hit the right one and you won't get your fingers or arm crushed as the doors are closing as you madly try and Bail around and try and find the right, the right lift. I've um, always had that nervousness the- about throwing a dog into the lift first as well to, to either that they're going to go up and, oh. and you're not or the opposite way where they don't make it and the doors are closing on them because I'm pretty confident the sensors on lift doors are not dog height. I'm pretty sure they're, they're, <laughs> they're to cater for human oh. heights, not dog heights, and that 
I just wouldn't well, notice. Well, <laughs> well, no, they're, they're definitely not arm friendly either. And I can definitely justify to that. Um, you know, I was going to make a, a joke about natural selection and all the rest of that, but I, I think we'll leave that one aside because, you know, any jo- jokes involving squished dogs are not good. No one um, seems to like that. Although I have heard that um, even our experience in Australia of Australian lifts is dissimilar to that in, in other countries where they don't have that same sensor. And if you are the sort of person that puts their arm in to, to hope that the door will then open, that there are countries where mm. that's not the case and you will lose that arm because that lift's closing regardless of whether your arm's in it or not. Yeah. I mean, God, you got another one, so it's just a matter of toughening up. And- <laughs> what makes a good uh, lift, though? What makes a good lift experience for you? Okay, good lift experience is one where the process of getting through the entry of the building and to the lift is seamless where you can hit the button or interact with the controls and know exactly where you're going, what lift is going to open and where it's going to take you. That makes a good lift experience. If it voices the floors, that's even better. That takes it to a 10 from a 9. So, yeah, if you can think of it as a, a process of steps, step one, step two, step three, you eliminate the barriers to access and let's be clear about these. These are accessibility-related values that are easily eliminated with a bit of forethought on the manufacturing side so that someone with or without sight can use it in an equitable way. Do you think um, technology has benefited lifts? Because I'm not convinced of this myself. I think a good old dumb lift that has at least got some tactile buttons isn't a bad way to go because it's pretty reliable, it's tactile, whereas the technology doesn't necessarily feel as accessible and inclusive to me. What, what do you think the technology's done? I would have to agree to that. I think that there a few steps have been missed in the development of smart lifts. So what I mean by that is I regularly enter a building that uses lifts that have just been developed in the last couple of years. So they're, they're, you know, they're Schmidt, they're um, you know, compliant, all the rest of it. But they have touchscreens, and yes, they are accessible in the way that a swipe card can be programmed to take you to and from your home floor and, and you know, the first floor. And there's a way of holding your card against the panel and it will, you know, read out the floor levels. And God forbid you don't live in a building or have a, to access a building with 80 floors or something stupid like that. But yeah, there's got to be a better way. And sometimes the simplest solutions are the most efficient and best rather than, you know, designing a system that works very well for the sighted population but doesn't take account of a not insignificant number of people who can't interact with the touchscreen. And as I said, I'm going, if the card isn't programmed and you're on the 30th floor and all you want is to hit ground, it should be as simple as hitting ground, not swiping a card and listening to the lift tick down 30, 29, <laughs> 28. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it, like if you yourself are in that position, then I think you'd, you'd scream. And um, I've developed a very healthy vocabulary of very naughty words during this. 27. <laughs> 
It feels like a fundamental, you know, is the only thing you want to do when you're on the 30th floor is know that you can get to the ground. It feels like a really fundamental, even a safety issue to be able to go, just get me out of here. I've got to get to the ground. It should be one of the easiest experiences for everybody, not just people with different needs. It should be for everybody. I want to get out. Let me out. (laughs) Well, not only that, but it's it's apparent that they've thought of a solution and and then realised, oh, shit, we've got to cater for a cohort of people that can't access the touch screen, so we'll build in this retrospectively, if that makes sense. They haven't thought from the ground up. They've developed a solution, <laughs> and then they've slapped a, an access method on top of that, which, while it works, it could work a lot better. It seems um, that it's not just... And, uh, Go and on. I think also... Sorry. I, I think also there, there's a social element to it as well, um, which, you know, some people just don't get if... if they don't have the kind of disability that, that you and I experience every day. You know, I remember bitching about this to a French, excuse the French, but there's no other way to put it. And their partner um, just said, well, um, why, if an easy fix, why don't you just wait for someone to, to tap, hit the button for you? Mm. And uh, you're trying to engage in a conversation with someone like, it's as simple as saying, how would you like it to rely on side of the systems to do something as simple as hitting the lift to get to a floor that you need to get to? Um, it's, it's a fundamental part, interacting professionally in a way that others take for granted. That just isn't acceptable or good enough. It's fundamental in, for, to independence, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, sure, I could wait for side of the systems, but it feeds through to a psyche of other things, you know, maybe I'm thinking too much, you know, too deeply about it, but I don't think so. You know, we are all infinitely capable human beings and the technology that we use should facilitate that capability, not make us slaves to shitty technology that hasn't been thought through. I find it hard to believe that there aren't that everybody isn't impacted by the inconsistency of lifts. To me, the fact that they're all different, they all have a different system, and then you apply some additional needs on top of that to where after you get an accessibility button or something on top of that as an experience, the inconsistency mm. of lifts blows my mind. It's there's always something different where the buttons are located inside or outside the lift or how you actually get a lift or the order of the buttons or any of those things are really inconsistent across the board. It can't just be us. I have to agree. And I think that, you know, universal standards benefit so many areas of technology in so many ways. And it is really surprising that that lifts uh, aren't captured by a universal standard. But lifts gives us, the users, an approximation of what to expect as opposed to have to figure it out on the hop, which, you know, can be more challenging for someone without sight than someone who just walks us through and gets to where they want to go. 
Lots of reflections on Lyft. Who would have thought it? Is there anything, anything else you want to you want to add about Lyft experiences? Any? I've got a few funny stories. Yeah, most as I as I indicated before, involves the use of space. You're never quite sure how many people are in the lift until you bump into them, um, and you know you couple that with a dog whose head is at the right height for someone's dangling sandwich is just a recipe for disaster. Like, they're backing away, they're edging off, and Yaz's tail is just wagging away and she's <laughs> sniffing and going forward. And then I try and stop her and end up touching someone on the part of their anatomy that I probably shouldn't be. So <laughs> that, it's, it's not something that, that that's, yeah, fortunately... I have good colleagues and, you know, it's something that, that doesn't happen so often that it, it's a point of embarrassment. It's more of a funny moment that we'll just... Never speak of again. Yeah, never speak of again and hope the list opens and takes me to the right floor. <laughs> and it's a different um, one from theirs. <laughs> and, it, and it's, a, well, well, you know, to, to add to the fun now, you know, you want to get out of the list so quickly that you end up missing the voiced prompt of, you know, level 30 and end up on a different floor and then you've got to repeat the process again to get to the wire call. There was also an incident which involved bikes. It's not completely lift related, but it's still a funny one, so I'll, I'll voice it here. Um, all the lights went off and, you know, a lot of work colleagues around me were going, oh, my God, the, the lights have gone off and said to them, toughen up, you'll, you'll be fine. Does anyone want a dog? <laughs> and there was dead silence in this sort of the politically correct. If you could tell that people were wanting to laugh, but not really <laughs> knowing if they should or could or mm, this is this is appropriate. Mm, oh, no. So we got there in the end. I'm in the process of, you know, breaking them in one one laugh at a time. But it was just a funny one because, you know, it's always awkward to be stuck in a small space and you've got to make small talk. And the best way to break these barriers down is trying to inject a bit of humour into the situation. And sometimes sometimes that, that can go horribly wrong if, if people aren't on the same wavelength with you. <laughs> oh, good luck for trying. <laughs> well done. Thanks. Yeah, it's got to be done. How long, did the, uh, how long were the lights off for? How long, how long did it last? God knows. It might be still off. I'm not sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Henry. I really appreciate you telling your story and, and talking to us about lifts. It's a pleasure. And, you know, I think these kinds of conversations are important just to underscore the importance of accessibility and equitable access because, yeah, no one thinks about it. Lifts are fundamental to getting to where we want to go. And each and every one of us is entitled to the same level of access as anyone else. You might have gotten to this point and be wondering, why lifts? I decided to start with lifts because it's been something that's been a constant frustration for me, particularly when it comes to the belief that technology makes things better. I worked every day in an office tower that went through the process of updating, think of the air quotes there, their lifts. I understand all the efficiency, safety and productivity parts of the business case, but the upgrade was such a step backwards for me personally. I went from being able to approach a bank of lifts, going to my floor, 
get in the next available one and press a tactile button for the floor I wanted. An experience that's not too dissimilar to everyone else using those lifts. To an experience that treated me like an afterthought. The buttons inside the lifts were removed and touchscreen panels added to various places in the lift foyer. Each of those touchscreens provided a different view depending on where they were in the layout. So there wasn't a consistent way of using those, but they did all have a tactile button below to engage the accessibility features. You press the button, the system loudly announces that you need to push the button the number of times to get to the floor you want. Then you press and hold the button to select the floor. It will then tell you which lift based on a series of letters to go to. The main problem for me was that I was working on the 39th floor of the building. So that means pressing that button 39 times to get to the floor I want. I've gone from a two button process, an up button and a floor select button, to a 40 button process. Just because something is newer technology and comes with all the business cases doesn't mean it's been well designed for everyone. Technically, those lifts are accessible because I could get to where I needed to go, but I pose that it's not usable nor reasonable to create such a chasm between the experiences of different users. And that's just one example of the multitude of lift experiences that I've had that have left me really wondering about how they're designed. Someone who is working on bridging the gap between physical and digital worlds, though, is my next guest. Welcome, Lucy. Tell me, Lucy, what makes your experiences of lifts unique? Thanks for having me, Kelly. So what makes my experiences with lifts unique is that I'm a user experience designer. So I traditionally design digital products like apps and websites and other products like FPOS machines and kiosks. But recently I've been working on a very interesting navigation product and we map complex indoor spaces such as hospitals, shopping centres, office buildings, and often those places have lifts. And since working on this product, it has made me a lot more aware of how terrible lifts are and how inconsistent the design is. All right. Well, tell me about this product. Let's get the names out there. Who's doing the good stuff? Bindi Maps. So Bindi Maps is a navigation app that empowers users to navigate complex spaces independently. We started off as a product specifically for blind and low vision people to find the braille in the room. However, since we've recognized that everyone gets lost in these complex spaces. And so we have a range of different features catered for everyone, including a map mode, wheelchair accessible routes, as well as mapping quiet spaces. Tell me about lifts. What's what's going on in the world of lifts? What are you going to be able to do for us? So we've actually been working on a range of features in collaboration with Kone Lifts to uplift the lift experience. <laughs> um, and, and since working on this particular feature, it has become even more interesting to me how lift design works in the physical environment. But what our collaboration with Kone has enabled us to do is to launch an automatic lift call feature, which will give people the ability to have their lift called automatically for them They won't need to interact with any of the manual buttons. We'll be able to alert them what floor they're up to, when they need to exit the lift, 
as well as being able to delay the doors from closing if they needed a little extra time. That's amazing. So that'll help people remember what floor they parked their car on too? Yes, absolutely. We also have a pin location feature, which can become very handy, particularly for car spots or also (laughs) just areas that you might frequent a lot. Uh, So you can always pin that location and be able to easily access that later on when you want to navigate back. Awesome. So what have you been learning about lifts in in looking at the user experiences of lifts? Well, one of the biggest things for me has just been seeing how inconsistent lift design is from building to building. And I think that poses a real accessibility issue, which is hard because each time you come to a lift, you have to relearn how to use it. And that's that's for everyone. Uh, there's a lot of anxiety coming up to lifts. You know, you're either running late, you don't know where you're going, maybe you're in a foreign environment. And the fact that the design of lifts in terms of the button layouts, whether they're on the wall, inside the lift, if you need a key pass, if you need to scan the key pass before you operate the buttons, the fact that we have to relearn this each time, it just adds more cognitive load to an experience that is already quite stressful. And it should be easy and consistent, shouldn't it? Absolutely. It's a real opportunity, I think, to unify lift experiences. And I understand that technologies are improving all the time. And some of the lifts we do interact with today are quite old and then others are quite new. But even with the newer technologies out there, you can see it's really not considering all users in mind when they're designing these products. So how's the technology going to help? I mean, obviously that experience of being able to call a lift and get it know where you are and all those sorts of things is great. But how does the technology deal with the different standards and all of those inconsistencies? Well, the beauty of having it as a digital solution within the Bindi Maps app is people will already be familiar with the app and the app already respects all of the native settings that someone might have on their phone whether that's voiceover, whether that's dynamic type, whether that's high contrast mode. And so the way that we're communicating with our users in terms of their current lift experience, whether they're on this particular floor versus that floor, whether they need to delay the lift, we're communicating in the language that works best for people. So you're providing that overlay layer in between that that caters to the needs of, of the individual but then bridges that gap to the physical world. Exactly. And I think that's often where a lot of our features come from is trying to compensate for the physical barriers, physical accessibility barriers we see in the physical environment, trying to compensate that with a nice, simplified, unified digital experience. Often the thought process is that technology automatically makes things better. Is that the case for lifts? I would say depends, (laughs) the classic depends dot, dot, dot response with that. I think it's really critical for technology designers and developers as well as designers and developers of physical products and industrial designers. We really need to have our users involved in that initial design process. Otherwise, we're just creating things that are not fit for them. And so that does mean users with disabilities as well. Absolutely. And particularly with lifts, like it's quite ironic really how inaccessible some lifts are when they are fundamentally an accessibility tool 
to help people get from one level to the next who are not able to use stairs or escalators. These are the types of experiences that should be the most accessible. Love that. The last and probably obvious question is how do we get Bindi Maps? Yes, so you can download Bindi Maps on app or Play Store, whatever your preference is, and that's B-I-N-D-I-M-A-P-S. You can also visit our website, bindimaps.com, if you want to check out our latest blogs and download the apps. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, Kelly. And that brings us to the end of episode one of knowable.me. Thanks for listening if you made it this far. I've got a lot of fun topics on the list, as I mentioned, and would love for you to get involved. You can join the online community on Facebook and Instagram by searching knowable.me or connect with me directly by emailing podcast at knowable.me. And all of that info, as well as links to find Henry and Lucy and Bindi Maps, is in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first in line for my next episode. Thank you.